All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, the Democrats Supreme Court nominee doesn't know what a woman is and they're very, very upset with you treating the first black woman nominee to the Supreme Court with such just animosity and rudeness. We're going to be discussing that and a lot more because there's been a lot more in the news lately. All coming up on this episode of Making the Argument with Nick Freitas where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, first things first. Unless you've been living underneath a rock, you've probably seen this exchange between Senator uh, Marshall Blackburn from Tennessee and Justice Jackson, who was undergoing the whole Senate confirmation process for the Supreme Court. And she was asked, can you define what a woman is? And a response was interesting because she didn't just say yes and provide a definition. She didn't just say no. She said, no, I'm not a biologist. Now, the reason why so many of us picked up on this is, wow, that's an interesting response. It was not just simply because you don't need to be a biologist in order to differentiate between a man or a woman. It was this idea that in her non-answer, she actually suggested that biology has something to do with womanhood. And for a lot of us that have been treated like we're horrible, ignorant bigots for suggesting something similar over the last several years, that was interesting. And it was so interesting that, you know, like, for instance, I went out and I did a video on this. I actually had the video taken down as a violation of community standards. And, and all I did was repeat what the Supreme uh, Court nominee said and asked if she was assuming that biology had something to do with womanhood. And they took it down as a violation of community standards. Now, there's been a lot of people, to include some libertarians that I, I like a great deal, that have come out and like hammered Ted Cruz and Senator Blackburn and others like, this is a ridiculous line of questioning. Why are you even bothering with this, et cetera? Here is why. Like, honestly, if, if you're watching this and you're you know, a Democrat that's willing to listen to a conservative or you're a libertarian that thinks that all this is ridiculous, let me explain why this is so important to so many of us. It's not just the question of, like, what is the definition of a woman, right? This isn't some, like, pathetic gotcha question designed to make someone look foolish. This was asked because more and more we are finding ourselves in this interesting situation where the law is having to answer this question. And the law, there, there are certain distinctions within the law that we all used to understand that now all of a sudden are becoming a little bit clouded, that now we don't quite understand. And... For a Supreme Court nominee who's going to be ruling on these issues, for a Supreme Court nominee that was selected in part because she's a woman, for a Supreme Court nominee who herself sees herself as an advocate for women's rights, not being able to tell us what a woman is in an era where 
the objectivity or the objective standards that we used to use to distinguish these things don't seem to be relevant to a lot of people anymore. That's actually a pertinent question and not just to this issue. It's really a pertinent question with respect to what is your commitment to observable objective reality? Because if, if you can't answer this question, but then you can simultaneously go out and write all these papers about you know, women breaking glass ceilings or about breaking down various barriers within business or academia or the law or the Supreme Court, but then you can't tell us what it is you're actually talking about, that's problematic. And we see this as being problematic, not just within this particular issue of a Supreme Court nominee, we see it being problematic as a whole host of other issues. And one of the biggest ones that have come up lately has to do with what we teach our kids in school. So I'm going to read off some things for you here real quick, because I found this interesting. Um, and this came from, it was in Illinois, and Illinois education standards says grades K through 12 should learn about gender, gender identity, and gender stereotypes. This is kindergarten to second grade. Grades three through five should learn about masturbation, puberty blockers, and trans children. Now, if you're going to insist, as the left does, that we have to not only teach sex education in school to you know, kids hitting puberty, but we got to start as early as kindergarten, talking about issues of, of gender, but you can't tell me what a woman is, that seems a little suspicious to me. When you're telling me that I need a government teacher or official or administrator or whoever it's going to be under this guidelines to teach a third grader about masturbation. Yeah, I'm going to get a little suspicious about that. So this, this issue is not just a, a silly little gotcha question about what is a woman. It is fundamental to a number of things that are currently going on in society, not just with respect to the whole idea of gender or sex, but with the whole idea of objective reality. And is there such a thing as truth? And the reason why this is so important is because there's this selective relativism that I see coming from the left all of the time where they want to treat something like, well, this is just a social construct so we can remake it however we want. Really? Because when you remake it in a way that people disagree with, you seem to get pretty upset with those people. Not to mention the fact that you want legal force to go behind a lot of these decisions. That's one of the things so many on the conservative side are actually worried about. It's not so much whether or not you as an individual want to educate your child a certain way, or you as an individual want to identify a certain way. With the vast majority of conservatives, we do not believe that the government should come in and punish you or reward you either way for what you do, right? Just live your life, don't infringe on the liberties of someone else, and we're good. But that's not good enough for the left. They do want special legal protections. They do want special legal considerations, they do want special legal set-asides. That's why we have things like women-owned small business set-asides. That's why we have certain economic carve-outs for women. That's why we have a Women's History Month. But then when you want to come back and say, well, but that's all arbitrary, that somebody else can simply identify a certain way, and now the, the legal question for a lot of us and what will affect the Supreme Court just, does that mean a man who wakes up tomorrow and says, you know what, I'm a woman and I'm going to apply for that women-owned small business set-aside? Can they or can they not? Are they disqualified for not being a woman? Because if you don't know the answer to that question, I'm going to assume they can do it. Can they compete in the NCAA? Can they, uh, does this affect Title X funding? Now, there's a lot of people on the libertarian side who will come back and say, well, no, Nick, the real problem is that we have any of these programs. We don't need to be making these, these economic set-asides. You know what? I'm sympathetic to that argument. You know who's not sympathetic to that argument? Justice Jackson. She's not. 
And the, and the reason I know this is because I sat on the, the House floor, House of Delegates floor, and in the same year where Democrats were getting up and talking about how we had to pass the Equal Rights Amendment and how anybody that didn't want to pass the Equal Rights Amendment was essentially a closet sexist. But what the Equal Rights Amendment said is that you can't really make any distinction based off of sex within the law. And, and we had some concerns about it. Like, okay, what does this mean for things like the draft? What does it mean for like women's only, you know, public universities that take government funding? What, what does it mean for some, these were legitimate questions that we asked and we pretty much got ignored or we got told that those aren't real issues. We, we know really what it is, is you're a sexist. And then in the very same session, I saw a Democrat delegate get up and advocate for a women's uh, economic set aside. And I got up and I said, well, wait a second. You, you just said that we're not supposed to have any distinctions within the law, any discrimination within the law, and now you're discriminating based off of sex. Sex is one of the criteria you're using to determine whether or not someone qualifies for this program. And not only are you saying out of one side of your mouth that a woman is whatever someone identifies as it is, out of the other side of your mouth, you're saying that we shouldn't have any sort of discrimination or distinction within the law between men and women. And then over here, you're saying that now we have to have that sort of distinction or discrimination, and you can't even tell me who properly qualifies for it. So to my libertarian friends, some of which who are tearing apart Republicans on Twitter right now, was this a legitimate question? Yes, it is. Because as much as we might like to live in a world where we say, you know what, we're not going to, we're not going to have these little economic set-asides. We're going to let everyone compete in a free and open marketplace. That's not what exists. And so, I'm sorry, I want to know if a Supreme Court justice, who, who's, again, going around talking about women's issues, women's rights, and things like that, I want to know if she can actually define the term so that we can, so that that word has some sort of meaning. Because what gives words meaning is an objective interpretation of those terms. Otherwise, it's impossible to have a conversation. Language becomes impossible if the words can mean anything to anyone at any given time, and it has equal validity across the board. Seriously, when we talk about these issues, all of it, the reason why language works is because we have an understanding that certain words mean certain things. And the left is increasingly telling us, well, it doesn't mean those things. Okay, great. What does it mean? Well, we don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You're going to pass laws punishing people for doing things. That's what I mean when I say the selective relativism. They want to treat it like it's all relative. But when they actually put this thing into effect, when they actually create laws, there's nothing relative about the police shutting down your business or kicking in your door. There's nothing relative about your kid getting kicked out of school because they didn't wear a mask or because they said the wrong thing that was offensive or that classified as hate speech. There's nothing relative about that anymore. When it comes to the enforcement side, all of a sudden it gets super objective pretty quick. And so we have a right to know what people actually think about these things. And I want to use this to kind of segue with what's going into our schools because I saw a couple other things coming up today. One, the ACLU. And the reason why, again, this is relevant because so many of the issues that we see going on in our schools right now have to do with questions of when, if ever, is it appropriate for the public school, for the government, because these are government schools. I'm sorry, they always say public schools. It's not, it is a government-run school. That's what it is. If you, if you don't like that, if you don't like that terminology, sorry, it's an accurate reflection of reality. Is it appropriate for a government-run school to essentially teach about sex, sex education, sexual identity, gender identity, uh, you know, preferences, masturbation? Like, is that all appropriate for a government employee to teach to your child? 
Now, some parents say yes. Some parents say no. Here's what I find fascinating. And this goes back into interpretation of the law and how we actually how the law goes into effect. We had a bill this year that said when it comes to teaching a lot of this stuff, within, you know, family health education and things like that, we said, look, we want this to be opt-in. Basically, you tell parents, hey, this, this sort of training is going to, this sort of education is going to be available. Would you like to opt your child in? Because right now it's opt-out. But, but here's, the, here's the sketchy little part, right? They'll, they'll, it's not like they're calling you up and saying, hey, we're about to teach our third grader about masturbation. You want to opt out of that? No, it happens, and then the parent finds out after the fact. And the teachers in the, in the uh, teachers unions in the schools want to act like, well, gosh, we send a note home with your child. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure my seven-year-old did a great job of delivering that. Or we, we sent an email that got dropped into a spam folder somewhere. So we said, look, make it opt-in. Make, make the parent have to make a proactive decision to say, I want my child to go to this. And the Democrats were, were furious about this. They said, oh my gosh, if we do this, how many children are going to go without sex education from government officials? My answer is, I don't know. And quite frankly, it's not my primary concern. My primary concern is when I see to see more government institutions taking over roles that really belong to parents. I brought this point up and I literally had a leftist come on Twitter and say, yeah, we should go back to the old days where people learned, kids learned about sex on the streets. And my response was, well, I'm sorry your kid learned about sex on the streets. My certainly didn't. Maybe you should rethink your parenting. But that really is the mentality. It's this idea that, well, gosh, if the government isn't coming in and teaching your thir third grader about masturbation, who will? I don't know. Maybe nobody to a third grader because we're more concerned about them being able to accomplish simple math and, I don't know, developing macaroni art. Maybe that's not an appropriate age to have an in-depth discussion with your child about gender identity and, and masturbation. But nope, Democrats are adamant about it. And then they want to treat us. They want to treat the parents. They want to treat the conservatives. They want to treat just moderates. They want to treat center-left moderates as if we're all crazy people because we don't think that sort of behavior is appropriate. And, and let me illustrate this point a little bit harder. <laughs> That's not already hard enough. I want, to, I want to really hammer home on this. So there was a, um, there was a, uh, a parent in Georgia who was upset about some of the content that was in the school library and so what did this parent do? This parent went to a school board meeting and started to read from the book. And, and they got mad at her because what she was doing and saying was inappropriate. Keep in mind, same sort of school board that thinks that all these books should be in the school library, that should be in your AP classes, that should be a part. And also don't believe that parents should get notification that this is going into their kid's curriculum. Also don't believe that the parents should be able to opt out if they have a problem with that particular assignment. And the reason I know this is because we had this battle here in Virginia and every single Democrat, every single Democrat, if I remember correctly, voted against it. Voted against parental notification and giving the parents the, the ability to opt into a different, a different um, uh, like class or assignment. And, and their response was, was well, you, you guys want to ban books. We're like, we didn't ban a single book. We said that if you have sexually explicit material within the book, that you should give parents notification of that and if the parents are not comfortable with it, you should be able to give the parent an alternative or the student an alternative assignment. Like, well, this is going to be essentially banning certain books because parents don't or teachers don't want to deal with that. Oh my gosh, the horror, the absolute horror that we might have to come up with a reading assignment that doesn't include pornographic material. Oh my gosh, how horrible. But again, it wasn't good enough that your child could still have access to that if they wanted. If you as a parent made the decision, that was fine. You could still have access to it. No, no, no. Everyone's child had to, had to go through that assignment. Everyone's child. 
This, this, is not, this is not a question of choice. This is not a question of options. This is not a question of, of getting a, a good, robust, well-rounded education. This is not a question of teaching hard history. It's none of that. This is about a, a particular agenda that certain people on the left, and increasingly the entirety of the Democratic Party with some notable exceptions, an agenda they have with respect to what they see as the state's not only responsibility, but mandate to teach your child and if you don't like it, you're the problem. That's what, that is what is going on here. It, it's amazing because once this parent was reading it off in a school board meeting, the school board members immediately said, whoa, whoa, this is, this is inappropriate. Oh, but not if you assign it to my 15-year-old without telling me. Then it's, then it's totally cool, right? Now, there is a simple, and, and, and again, I, I, this isn't the only time I've seen this happen. Um, Tom Garrett, who used to be in the Virginia Senate, Great guy. When we were having this debate, I think it was back in 2016, 2017, I can't remember. He got up and started to read from one of the exact books that was listed as an assignment. And, and this, was, this is what was kind of the impetus for this um, parental notification for sexually explicit materials. He started to read it and the Democrats in the Senate flipped out because we have 13 and 14-year-old pages that help out within the, the Senate room. Now, the 14-year-old pages were old enough to be assigned this book. But when he started reading from it on the Senate floor, the Democrat senators lost their minds. This was so inappropriate. How could you do this? We need to get these pages out of here. Why? You think it should be assigned to them without their parents knowing. But if a senator reads it off on the Senate floor, then it's horribly inappropriate. Then it's beyond the pale. This is the sort of hypocrisy. Because when those Democrat senators and those Democrat delegates go back and tell you what's going on, they don't say, yeah, we had a robust debate over, gosh, you know, is the cost-benefit analysis really adding up with respect to the additional you know, burden this could put on teachers versus the quality of education versus parental... They don't say that. They say, Republicans want to ban books. But more and more parents are starting to realize that they've been lied to. Not you're being lied to, you've been lied to. You've been lied to for years. Because when parents actually become aware of what was actually going on, all of a sudden they're like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I get notification of that? Yeah, great question. Ask Delegate Lopez, who, by the way, gets very mad when I don't at him on, if I mention his name. But go, go, yeah, go ask one of them on, on the debates they get up on the floor when they're talking about why do Republicans want to ban books? Why is this? And, and of course, it's because we're racist or sexist. It can't possibly be because we have some concern with respect to the sort of material that you're exposing our children to at, at certain ages without telling us first. So that we might be able to, we might even be fine with our child reading the book, provided that we actually know what's going on, have a little bit of a heads up, so we can actually engage in a little bit of contextual conversation with our child as they're going through this process. And not simply reading it on their own or learning about it in a class full of 30 other students without any sort of adult intervention other than maybe what the teacher can give them among 30 other students in an hour-long class. Yeah, that, that's just totally unreasonable on our part. And the reason why I get so heated about this is because I, I am so fed up. And look, I homeschool my kids. I don't got to deal with this. Do I teach my kids hard history? Absolutely. Do we expose our kids to a lot of different worldviews and understanding? Of Absolutely. But I don't got to deal with some government official standing up on the house floor saying that I'm a bad person if I don't, I don't got to deal with that as a, as a parent of a student. Because we can actually adapt their curriculum based off of our students' individual needs. Now, here's what's interesting about all of this. If you're watching this right now, and you're left of center, 
And you're thinking, okay, Nick, I understand where you're frustrated about, but I also understand the Democrats' point that this could create an environment where there's a whole there's a whole list of literature that will no longer be included, not because it's pornographic, but because it falls into some of these criteria of a sexually explicit material. So I understand what they're saying. Great. Here's what I would tell you. Here's what I would tell you. I'm, I'm willing to have that discussion. What we're arguing for on a fundamental level is for things like dollars following students. And the reason why we're arguing for that is because so many of the battles that we're having over things that I just mentioned, so many battles that we're having with respect to the questions being asked for the Supreme Court justice, the reason why they're battles, like really hardcore, you know, like ending friendships, you know, families not wanting to meet it. And the reason why they're battles is not simply because we disagree about certain issues or a certain book or a certain word or a certain terminology. It's because the government is now intervening in order to tell us how we're supposed to believe, what we're supposed to say, what we're supposed to think, what sort of material our children will be exposed to. And when we have a problem with it, we're told we're racist and we're bigots. You want to know what the very, very simple solution here is? If you had something like dollars following students, if a parent is uncomfortable with that, instead of now going to their state legislature, their local school board, and potentially getting something banned that you as a parent don't want banned, or potentially getting something changed that you as a parent don't want changed, they can just they, they can pick some other place within the educational marketplace to meet their child's needs. And you can continue to get the education you want. But that's not good enough for our colleagues on the other side of the aisle. They want to be able to compel, by law, my child to go to their school to learn that material unless I can afford an alternative. If I'm wealthy enough, I can do something else for now. But if I'm not wealthy enough, nope, that's what your kid gets. And if you don't like it, tough, because we're going to take your tax dollars, we're going to spend it the way that we think it should be spent. And oh, by the way, if you don't send your child to that school and you can't afford an alternative, you're now in violation of truancy laws. The police can come after you. You can potentially lose your kids. So explain to me which side is being tolerant, compassionate, and is open to a diversity of ideas and thoughts and approaches to education, or just ideas in general, and which one is draconian authoritarian and telling me that if I don't do what they want, they will punish me or my child. So these questions being asked to the Supreme Court justice, if the left doesn't like it, sorry, you're the ones that brought this on. You are. Back in a world where we could all easily distinguish between a man and a woman, this wasn't a problem. And the problem goes so far beyond what so many people are, are characterizing as just a gotcha question. It goes with an idea about what, is, what do words mean? Is there such a thing as objective reality? And, and in what realm can we, can we finally recognize that simply because we disagree doesn't mean that a government intervention is appropriate? You can live your life, educate your kids, run your business, do what you want, I'm not going to intervene. I'm not going to try to punish you because you happen to choose things that I wouldn't choose. As long as you're not harming another person, I'm going to leave you alone. Why can't I have the same consideration? And if your answer is, is what, well, because it's these government schools or these government institutions or these government rules and regulations, well, that's what provides real community. I'm going to tell you right now, no, it doesn't. Real community is voluntary. Real community is comprised of free people that choose to work and voluntarily cooperate with one another. And yes, there may be an appropriate role for government within that realm, but the degree to which government is intervening in all these decisions, and especially to the degree to which they're intervening in decisions with respect to our children, is not just wrong and inappropriate, it's perverse. 
and we better start waking up to it. All right, I want to thank you again. Also, want to give everyone a quick update. For those of you who are watching, you're probably like, why is Nick in a baseball cap t-shirt and on a couch right now instead of sitting in his usual place when we do the podcast? Well, here's the good news. We have given a lot of thought um, between the feedback that we've gotten, between the discussions that we've had, and really what this comes down to is we want to make sure that we're providing you the best product possible. We want this to be something that you look forward to um, every time that we do it that you know that when you turn in, you're going to get updates on what's going on with the news. You're going to hear good and, and you know, solid argumentation that you can use within your own life on the issues that you're facing throughout the day when you go to work, when you raise your kids, when you engage with politics. We want to make sure we're delivering on that. Part of what we're doing is we're actually revamping our entire studio. So you see the new mics. We're trying to give you better sound quality. Um, our, our producer, Nick Hamilton, is really excited about the new lighting we got. Apparently, it takes really, you know, it, it, it takes high-quality lights to make me look good. And we got some of those. So we're pulling all those in. But the most important thing is we're actually bringing in some other guests, some commentators, some regular guests. And we're going to have much more of a, a conversational atmosphere. We want you to be a part of that conversation. We want you to feel like you're a part of that conversation. And we're going to do more to actually integrate you into that conversation. So all that's coming up. So for the next week or so, you're probably going to see me on the couch with the mic doing this while we get that stew. But come April, um, April's our, April's our you know, first week in April is when we're really trying to get up there and make sure we have everything ready to go. That's where you're going to be able to see, see and hear the first podcast that we do in the new studio. We're really excited about this, really excited about the new host that we're going to have coming on. So make sure you tune in for that. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas for Making the Argument. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.